Every election year, we are inundated with mudslinging, accusations, promises, hopes, and fears. Civility seems to go out the window as our minds are swayed towards a specific political platform and we choose who will lead our country. Jesus didn't have a political platform. He had an eternal platform. He wasn't trying to build a government. He was building his kingdom. So what if we could do this year differently? What if we could act differently and become an inspiration instead of just another voice in the angry crowd? What if we could join Jesus in his mission and call people into a better way? Well, good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. If you've been here the last number of weeks, congratulations. You survived a series on politics and religion. God bless your heart for that particular work because that, that was interesting and challenging. We're going to go a little bit of a different direction over the next couple of weeks as we move towards a brand new series starting in a couple of weeks on miracles. I think every single one of us needs and wants a miracle, and we're going to go there. But before we do... I'd like to invite you into a sacred space. It may not look sacred to you, but I actually have a picture of it. Those of you who have traveled with me to Israel may recognize this, even though the floodwaters were significantly lower when we were there. At this little place, the entire Godhead showed up, all three members of the Trinity. In fact, you just sang that. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They all showed up at this exact location because this is the place where Jesus was baptized. In modern day Israel, this place is a little intimidating. It's the modern boundary between Jordan and Israel. And as you go up to it, you actually drive down this particular road and there are barbed wires on both sides and there are signs hanging that say, please do not leave the road. There are still landmines in this area. It was at one time a conflicted border. It's not like the border between Canada and the US, which if you've never seen it before, is a ditch. That's all that's there. But you walk up to this particular area and you can feel it right away. It's been a place of division. It's been a place of tension. But today, praise God, it's actually a place of peace. In fact, the Jordanian soldiers on the other side of the river will wave to you and say, hello. <laughs> it's actually really cool. This weekend, we're going to get to the temptation of Jesus, this epic debate between the Son of God and the devil himself. But before we get there, we've got to start with this spot. This happens at this spot, right before the temptation begins. The Bible says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized at that spot, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. All three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, all together in one place in perfect unity so that the Father can make a declaration, this is my son, this is my boy. Some of your translations say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I've never met a son or a daughter that didn't want that to be proclaimed over them. All of us are sons and daughters of somebody. And there's a hunger inside of each one of us for a father, whoever that might be, to come and bless us and approve of us and love on us. Do you know why I know that that is such a deep need inside of every human being? It's because I've seen what happens when people don't have that. They'll go looking for it anywhere. They'll go looking for it everywhere. When you don't have that loving approval of a father in your life, there's a hole, so you search for it. Love, approval, and acceptance. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. 
So in my humble opinion, I think biblical scholars made a mistake when they broke up the chapter between Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. I think they put it in the wrong place. I don't think you can separate what happens down at the river from what happens immediately afterwards. Because immediately after the baptism, I mean right, the very next thing that happens is Jesus goes out to face temptation. He's moving from a time of revealed identity, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, into a time of spiritual resistance. If you have ever been baptized, you know exactly how this works. You make a declaration that Jesus is King and Lord of your life. You go public with your faith. You hear me say the next step you need to take is to go public by being baptized. And we welcome you into this water tank over here. And we ask you the question, do you love Jesus with all of your heart? And when you respond yes, we say, we now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you go under the water symbolizing you're relating with the death of Jesus. You come back up out of the water relating with the brand new life in Jesus. And everybody claps and cheers and then money. Monday happens. Monday happens. You make this declaration and, and you go, I didn't know that in making that declaration, I was going to tick off the devil. Now, when I say that word, don't think for a second that we're thinking about a guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and a bifurcated tail. I mean, okay. But also don't mistake the fact that when I say the devil, I actually mean the devil. Satan himself, the enemy of your soul, who will do everything in his power to strip away your faith and replace it with pure evil. You make this declaration after you get baptized, and then Monday morning the devil starts taking shots. He, he pulls out all of the stops trying to rattle your resolve and your commitment and your devotion. Just so you know, when that happens, take it as a compliment because the devil doesn't pay attention to people he's not concerned about or that he doesn't consider a threat. If you're experiencing spiritual opposition this morning, good. It means you're actually moving in the right direction. So right on the heels of this baptism moment, here it comes, Okay. We move from this idyllic little beautiful place by the river to this place. Let me show you a picture of the Mount of Temptations. That's less than a day's walk away from the river. It's about a 20-minute bus ride. And you go from the River Jordan up to the Mount of Temptation. There is nothing there but sand, snakes, and scorpions. It's horrible. And the Bible says this is what happens. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Some of you are like, what? Don't jump right over top of that. Who led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted? God did. That's what your Bible says. God did. Why would the heavenly father who just said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, why would he then leave him out into the wilderness to be tempted? Let me tell you the reason. I'm looking at it. And so are you. The reason the Spirit of God led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted was for me and you. Paul, speaking of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 2, says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into this epic debate so that when you go out on your Monday and face temptation, Jesus stands right beside you. He's there. The Bible says that there's no temptation that's not common to man. We're all tempted in different ways at different times. And it's not a sin to be tempted. It's just a sin to actually respond and react to the temptation. 
And what did it say about Jesus? That he was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. In those moments when you are tempted, Jesus steps alongside of you and not only shows you how to fight, but he also offers a way out. Here's why I believe the baptism of Jesus is so important as a precursor to these temptation moments. I wrote it in your outline this way. It goes like this. The further I remove myself from the one who calls me beloved son, the louder the voices of temptation speak to me. Let me say it again. The further I remove myself from the one who calls me beloved son, the louder the voices of temptation speak to me. Make no mistake, God was, Jesus was both completely God and completely man. He had the power and the authority to leave that baptism moment when God proclaimed that he was absolutely beloved. He had the strength, he had the power to withstand all of the temptation that he knew was coming. Newsflash to the people of Christ the King, you're not Jesus and neither am I. What's the principle? We need to stay close. The closer the better. Doesn't mean you can't move out and live your life. No, God goes with you. But when you find yourself in the face of temptation, the first step you should take is towards the one who calls you beloved son or beloved daughter. We need to stop there for a moment because I think this needs to be said. I I watch this world operate with so many sons and daughters who never had a dad like this. And maybe you've never heard this before, but I think it needs to be said. Ladies, daughters of God, you are not just a daughter. You are a beloved daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, worthy of respect and honor and dignity. He loves you. You are everything to him. Okay? So you know that. Guys, you are not just a guy. You are a beloved son of God. And ladies and gentlemen, you did nothing to earn it. You can't work your way into it. You don't need to prove yourself to him. You don't need to clabber for his attention. You just need to stay close and live to the full identity, not of who you believe yourself to be, but who God says you are. Beloved son, beloved daughter, that's who you are. All right, here we go. Verse two. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You think? 40 days and 40 nights. Give me 40 minutes and I'm starving, right? You know, like, hasn't had anything to eat. 40 days, 40 nights. He's hungry and the devil shows up because that's what he does. He exploits every weakness that you will ever lay out. Verse three, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Come on, Jesus, just do a miracle. That's what you do. That's how you roll. That's your jam. You got an obvious problem. You're really hungry. Here's some rocks. Flip them into bread. I mean, this isn't even a big deal to you. You made the entire universe. This is like a parlor trick. Come on, just make bread. Look after it. It's small. It's insignificant. Just give in to the temptation. What's the temptation? It's relieve the hunger. The reason I'm telling you is this. The devil is so unbelievably predictable. His appeal has not changed. He's going to say this to you this week. Just relieve your hunger. You'll be fine. That sexual hunger that burns inside of you, just relieve it however you want to. Physically, visually, with whoever. It doesn't matter. There's no rules. That hunger you feel for revenge, it's okay. Relieve it. Just make somebody pay. Anybody. 
That hunger for power and control, it's okay. Just step on people as you work your way up the corporate ladder. They're not rungs, they're human beings. Step on them, push them back down again. You're gonna feel so much better when you get to the top. That hunger to be right, it's simple. You just relieve it, make everybody else wrong. That hunger to feel sorry for yourself, you can take care of that. Just relieve that hunger. Have an epic pity party, it'll be awesome. That hunger for more, oh, it's okay, you, you can take care of that. You can relieve that, it's simple. You just spend, spend, spend. And when you run out of stuff to spend, borrow some more and spend, spend, spend. And then borrow some more, spend, spend, spend. And when you run out of paper, get a piece of plastic and just keep swiping it up and down till there's smoke coming off of it. MasterCard and Visa, that's a giant conspiracy to try and get you to live inside of your lane. No, accumulate as much stuff as you possibly can. I promise you it's gonna feel so good when you have this big pile of stuff. The hunger to numb your heart and your soul just, and make the pain go away. I mean, the devil would say, just relieve it with something, anything. Just, just take the edge off. You'll feel better. All lies. Every single one of them. All of us in this room are a complex system of appetites. Some appetites are healthy. If you've got a healthy appetite, it's good. It makes you healthy. We need that. We need food. Eat too much, and it's not healthy anymore. Here's something so obvious, I think it needs to be said. If the devil is offering it, it's only a matter of time till it kills you. Let me say that again, and I'll see if I got three people who can say amen with me. If the devil is offering it to you, it's only a matter of time till it kills you. Right? Jesus has a choice here. Relieve the hunger. It's no big deal. It's just a small compromise. It's so natural. We all need to eat. We all need to eat. Not if the devil's offering. Let's learn this together. If I can't resist in these small challenges or areas of compromise, I'm never going to be victorious when the big ones come. Luke 16, 10 says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in big things. Satan lays out this temptation and Jesus responds in verse number four. Jesus answered. It is written, that's a clue. He quotes scripture. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the deal. Christ the King Church, some of you need to learn how to talk back to the devil. You've been too scared, too intimidated, and you need to actually learn how to fight biblically and spiritually. I'm going to put it to you this way. I don't care what your mom said. Some of you need to learn how to talk with your mouth full. Let me explain that. When you're feasting on the bread of life, your mouth is full. The Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you take the word of God, put it inside of you, you ingest it, you feed on it. When temptation comes, you actually have a response. It's right here, ready in your mouth. Let me give you a... Some scenarios. When the devil tempts me to seek revenge, I mean, somebody hurts me, I don't like them, this is what happens. I start thinking about how I could hurt them slowly, painfully, an eye for an eye, and I can picture myself poking them in the eye. 
a tooth for a tooth and I've got a spiritual set of pliers in my hand. I'm going to go for this big white one right up here in the front. I just start twisting that around and Satan comes along and says, that's right. Just get some revenge. It's going to feel so good. I mean, don't even worry about anything. In fact, he puts it under the banner. It's righteous anger because after all, they hurt you so bad and the temptation is to seek revenge. When my mouth is full, I can respond to the enemy and say, I am not falling for that. I'm not falling for that. My Bible says vengeance belongs to God. That means it's not for me to have a hold of. In fact, when I put my hands on on it, it just goes terribly wrong. So this is how it's going to work. I'm going to trust God with having vengeance. I'm going to trust God with balancing the scales. I'm going to go over into this corner. I'm going to pray for that person. So you need to walk away. I'm not going to buy it this time away. Leave and disappear, you lying snake. And he's just like, oh, Grant, simmer down. No. No. We've been living under this garbage forever. When are we going to learn? Satan comes along and says, hey, you know that, that hunger, that desire inside of you? Act on it. Just relieve the sexual hunger wherever, whenever you want. It doesn't matter. Just, just release it. We need to learn how to talk back. I'm in the fourth grade in Awana at Faith Fellowship Baptist Church. I'm trying to uh, learn a verse. The verse says this. I still can't get it right. But it says this. It says, what? Know ye not, or don't you know? We were learning King James back in the version, okay? All right? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you're bought, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, Bob Hildebrand was my Awana leader. He's trying to help me learn that verse. For a fourth grader, that's a big, heavy verse. There's a lot of yees in that verse, right? <laughs> And, and I can't get it. I can't get it. And Bob turns it into a game. He would stick his head around the corner. He'd go, hey, Grant, what? And I'd say, what? No, you're not that your body's temple, Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you are not your own. You're bought with a price of honor God with your mind and your body. I mean, I'd just like rip it off as fast as I could. And he'd go, no, that's not quite it. And then he'd leave for about three minutes. Then he'd stick his head back around the corner again. Hey, Grant, what? And I'd go, what? No, you're not that your body's temple, Holy Ghost, which is in you. <laughs> Drove me nuts. Drove me nuts. And then I hit middle school. Let's not play games or lie. We know what happens when you hit middle school. And there's temptations everywhere that lure you to start walking down a path that the devil wants you to walk. For the life of me, a friend would show up at school and say, hey Grant, found one of my dad's magazines. Just come and take a look at it. For the love of God, Bob Hildebrand would show up in my heart and go, what? <laughs> what? Do you know who you are? You were bought with a price. Your brain and your body don't belong to you. They belong to Jesus. Honor God with your body. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Middle school. When computers were just starting to come out when stuff was just starting to infiltrate homes from the outside, whether it was invited or uninvited, and the stuff just started coming in waves, and it would come in a wave, and I just kept having Bob Hildebrand and the Holy Spirit of God show up in my brain going, what? What? And then I went to high school. Don't, don't play church with me. We all know what happens, right? Opportunities 
to compromise and not honor a daughter of God or a son of God. And I'm faced with the same temptation you are and Bob and the Holy Spirit are like driving me nuts. What? Don't you know who you are? You were bought with a price. When the devil shows up and says the world's all about power and control, just control people and gain power, use your power, no matter the cost. When that happens, you need to talk with your mouthful. You need to be able to say, well, devil, this is how I would respond to that. Jesus had full power, full control, and he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, yeah, and one more thing before you go. I know that I can do absolutely nothing apart from him. I don't control anything. I've got no power. So I'm just going to choose to stay really, really close to the one who says, I'm a beloved son. Let's keep going. The Bible says, if you resist, if you push back, if you talk back with the authority of God's power and God's name, something has to happen. James 4, 7. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what scripture says. Now, before you just go, oh yeah, I'm going to resist, resist, resist. You may want to read the first part of the verse. Before it says resist, it says submit yourself to God. You choose God's way first. That's resistance. And then you fight and speak back words of God towards your enemy. Let me just give a little, little caution here. If you think you can come against Satan himself under your authority and your name, you got another thing coming. He'll kick your tail. But if you come against him in the name of Jesus... Under the authority of his power, the Bible says the devil has no choice but to leave. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Devil's not done, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so you will not strike your foot against a stone. I think it's really interesting to notice that the devil will quote scripture. Always out of context and always with a twist, but he'll quote it. Once again, it comes back to the source who's speaking, and what's the offer that he's making. You see, there are times God will ask you to take a spiritual risk. He'll say, hey, hey, Grant, you see that guy on the other side of the restaurant? Go talk to him. He needs me. He's totally forgotten, never heard it before, that he's a beloved son of the most high God. Pick up your coffee cup. Take a risk, come on, go. There are times when God will come and ask you to take a spiritual risk. He'll ask you to give when there's nothing left to give. That's called faith. He'll ask you to choose boldness when you feel like running away. And in those moments, you've got to make a decision. Am I going to believe that what God has called me to, he'll also equip me for? That he'll give me the resources that I need? Am I going to step into that moment or am I going to step back? That's not the way it works with the enemy. When the devil's talking, here's always the temptation. Risk without godly reason. Satan will call you to risk, all right. He'll say, hey, uh, Okay, you can lash out on Facebook. It's totally cool. You might risk your reputation, but don't worry about that. Your anger is totally justified. Just let, let him have it. He'll ask you to risk your family by dancing on the edge of bad boundaries, and you're going to spend so much time working on something that's temporary, not eternal, and it'll cost you. He'll ask you to risk, risk your marriage through simple neglect. Just don't pay attention. 
And then Satan will start tempting you with alternatives. Throw yourself into your work. It'll satisfy you. I promise you. When you get to the top of the food chain, it's all going to be perfect from there. I'll say, risk it. Throw yourself into that illicit relationship. It will satisfy you. No, it won't. It'll crush your family. He'll say, risk it. Throw yourself into the addiction. It will help. No, it will do unbelievable harm to you and the people that you love. Jesus talks back, verse seven. Jesus answered him. It's also written, quote scripture. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus reminds Satan, don't test God. You're not writing this exam. Don't test God, which means this. Don't play a game of dancing on the edge of sin, seeing how close you can get without having it touch you. That's a bad game to play. Don't try to, to see how close I can get to the edge of wrongdoing. Instead, like Jesus did, choose to stay close to the one who calls you beloved. I love this bold reminder in this verse. This just, I just loved this. Jesus, speaking to Satan, says, hey, God's your God too. You thought you were in charge. You're not in charge. You're a masquerading lion. The lion got no teeth. You're fighting with the lion of Judah. All strength, all power. You want to get bit, you lying snake? Step up, let's watch that fight. Whew. We could spend a lot of time there. Let's keep going. One more place to stand, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Boy, that sounds like a simple temptation, isn't it? Wrong worship. Wrong worship. What's the plea of the enemy? Worship me. He's like, I'm not going to worship Satan. Okay, then he'll give you a counterfeit to worship. We worship anything we give our time and attention to. Anything. So here's the temptation that Satan says to Jesus. Hey, don't worry about God's, rule your own kingdom. I'll give it to you. I'll give you everything you want. Satan will tempt you to believe you can build your own kingdom and then it'll actually last. And your kingdom will last till the day you die. And then everything that you think is yours is going to burn and turn to ashes. I know that's crazy, right? It's just like everything that we worship your toys, your company, your independence, your success, your resume, your kingdom, it's all going to burn away in the pure holiness and presence of Jesus. So what should we do in response to that? I would suggest this. Don't worship your own kingdom and your own stuff. Worship the king of the kingdom. Because everything you got is being lent to you anyway. So that means this. We actually spent seven weeks talking about this. Don't praise your stuff. Praise Jesus, Yadah Jesus, Barak Jesus, Tehillah Jesus, Zamar Jesus, Halal Jesus, Todah Jesus, Shabak Jesus, praise Jesus. That alone will allow you to fight this temptation. And I'll tell you what, this is the one that gets most of us. We say, oh, no, 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 not going to get me. And then Monday morning, what do we do? We get up and start working on our kingdom. How many things can I attach my name to? How many people can I have below me? How many ways can I just look after myself? I don't need God's help. 
That's building your own kingdom. Verse 10, we gotta get wrapped up. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord, your God. Serve him only. Then the devil left him. Resistance accomplished. And angels came and attended him. I think this is worth noting. Anytime you have a spiritual conflict, you need to follow that with a season of rest and retreat. Jesus knew the wisdom of strategic rest and retreat. Let me tell you why. Because it's only a matter of days until the enemy comes in the round for another round. Let me tell you why this matters. And I'm just like, okay, so we got chapter three, end of chapter three, baptism, then we got chapter four, all the temptation stuff. Let me tell you why this matters to you in the middle of February 2020. It's because of this. Every single temptation you're going to face this week is covered right here in one of those three categories. Every single one of them. The temptation to quit, the temptation to gossip, the temptation to judge, the temptation to just not care, the temptation to run, the temptation to die, the temptation to lash out in anger, the temptation to cheat, the temptation to steal, the temptation to stray, the temptation to ask questions and never wait for an answer. It's all going to hit you sometime in the next week. I promise you, scripture says, Temptation is common to all of us and you can find every single temptation you're gonna face and the enemy's gonna say, and here's how you should take care of it. Relieve the hunger, risk without godly reason, rule your own kingdom and you're gonna have to respond. Here's the cool thing. <laughs> Don't get stuck there. Because if every temptation you're facing is covered right here, it also means Jesus just gave you both the response and the power to press back against it. He just said, just do what I do. You're going to face temptation? Speak. Don't speak under your authority in your name. No, speak under my name, my authority quote scripture back. You're going to have to learn some of this so you can press back. You just learn the strategies from Jesus, how to fight back, resist the enemy, and win every single time. I mean, we've been talking about politics. I mean, you want to talk about a temptation these days? Oh my goodness, right? For some of us, we've got to resist the temptation to do nothing. Others of us have to resist the temptation to just unleash our anger. How do we do that? We feed from the word, we choose God's grace, and we remember that there's only one who is worthy of our worship, and that's Jesus. Okay, let's make it personal. Just like you, I have a whole list of stories that I could talk to you about, about just simple temptation. I mean, some people think, I don't know why, but they think being a pastor comes with a coating of spiritual Teflon, so nothing sticks to you, when exactly the opposite is the truth. Actually, there's a bigger bullseye, because the devil knows something. If I can knock out the shepherd, the flock's going to suffer. So I've got the same temptation stories as you do. I'm tempted to take revenge, exert control, get angry, make the wrong kind of risk, judgment. I have got the, exactly the same things that you do. And I face the same temptation. So Wednesday morning, two people from our congregation passed away before 9 a.m. So I was at two death scenes before 9 a.m. 
Then I had to try and shift gears because at 10.30 that morning, I was supposed to go and lead a pastor's praying for pastor's time. Those of you who prayed for us, thank you. We had about 75 pastors from around this county gathered together in one room to pray for each other and pray for you. It's just a beautiful time of worship. So I'm trying to shift gears, right? You go from a death scene to leading a, a prayer time, a little bit of a, there's a gap there, right? And so I stop, I stop at Lakeway Woods on my way out to where we were going, grab a cup of coffee. And I walk in the door and, and, and who's sitting right on the other side of the coffee shop? A guy that, <clears throat> he's a professional online troll. And he's made my life miserable. I'll wake up sometimes in the morning and he'll have posted 40 comments on my Facebook feed. And I got to go through and block every single one of them. It's just what he does in the middle of the night. And he's sitting right there, right in my line of sight. And I'll be honest, he has made my online life, on online life, if you, that's an oxymoron, but an online life, whatever that is. But he's made it miserable. And I have this little flush of anger. I'm just like, and I'm tempted to just spew anger in my mind on my way <laughs> to a pastor's prayer time. <laughs> so I justify like, but it's righteous anger, right? It's the right kind of anger. And I'm just going to, I don't know about your experience, but whenever I'm tempted to go the wrong direction, Jesus never makes it easier for me. Always makes it harder. I've been reading on the Sermon on the Mount. That's what I've been feeding off of the last couple of weeks. And there's a section in there where Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said that if you say something in your brain against someone, you've heard it said that that's a bad thing. I'm going to actually up it. In God's eyes, when you think something evil about someone, it's murder. This all happened in a series of seconds. I'm looking at this person and Jesus steps up on one side. Holy Spirit comes up on the other side. God the Father gets behind me and he whispers something in my ear. The answer to that young man's anger is him receiving my blessing as my beloved. You can't not make him angry. <laughs> I can fix that. Will you forgive him the same way that I forgave you? Will you humanize him instead of characterize him in an evil way? Will you realize that I am the only hope that he has? And the craziest thing becomes, happens there. I just, like in an instant, I'm looking at this guy. It's just like, all of a sudden he became a person. And I started wondering, I wonder what happened in his life to make him so angry. I wonder what crushed his spirit so much that he's up at three o'clock in the morning typing messages on Facebook. I started wondering, I wonder if I responded in kindness at some level, whether or not God might be honored in this. The Bible says, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man and God is faithful and he will not give you more temptation than you can bear and he will give you a way out. I'll be honest with you, I did not feel like it. 
But this is what came out of me. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. And may he give you peace. I noticed something while the four of us were there. God the Spirit, God the Son, God the Father, me. Got that? Got with the four of us standing there? I noticed that someone had left. Where'd the devil go? He was here just a second ago. He was the one that said, just unleash your anger, you'll feel so much better. I was just looking around, where in the, where did he go? Oh. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. If you want him to go away, do it this way. So church, here's the deal. I'm going to unleash you on Whatcom County. (laughs) Here's my challenge to you. Together as a church, let's chase the devil out of Whatcom County this week. Okay? Not under our authority, not under our name. Out of our mouth, his name. His authority. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father God, may you bless my brothers and sisters. May you walk with them and empower them to not live off of their own words, but to live off of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Lord, may we resist the devil and submit to you this week. And may anything good that comes from that, and we know there will be good, may it bring honor and glory to your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a good week. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.